right. Thanks for tuning in to this next episode of the Quintessential Ministry Podcast. I am Pastor Quint, and I am once again joined by TJ Schaefer. TJ, say hello. Ooh, hey, everybody. And um, if you missed it last episode, I introduced TJ, and we had a, a really good conversation about kind of his work in campus ministry and what that looks like. So I would encourage you to, to jump back and check that out if you didn't hear it. But it was really good and just interesting insights um, from just what you see day in and day out, TJ. I was really, um, I learned some things, so I thought it was really cool. Um, so thanks for doing that. But today uh, we're going to kind of go a different direction. I mentioned that uh, you and I connected over lunch a month ago or so, and we ended up talking a fair amount about like personality types and different things like that. And I, I always joke, I think the podcast world needs another episode on the Enneagram, <laughs> like not at all, because uh, there's yeah. probably plenty of that out there. But, um, you know, personality differences and types is definitely a real thing. Mm-hmm. And whether you are a Myers-Briggs fan or a DISC fan or uh, an Enneagram fan or whatever, I'm not here to endorse or, or sign off on any of those as much as just really, I want to have the healthy conversation about just differences yeah. in personality types. Uh, and and what, like um, I was telling you before we turned the mics on here, TJ, that this morning we did a training from John Maxwell on the 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. And the second one he talked about this morning was the law of awareness and the importance of being self-aware or aware of self, of like who you truly are, who God has made you to be. And uh, so anyways, that's kind of like, that's always the lens I want to look at the personality stuff through because I think that is when it's the most useful. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know, could you give a little background just from your perspective on personalities, things you've seen, things you've studied, and we can just kind of see where this goes? Yeah. I mean, I think you couldn't have kicked this off better because I totally agree that is always the foundational space that you want to start with is understanding that these um, tests, I guess we can just call them all tests, um, are meant to help and increase your self-awareness for other reasons, X, Y, Z, which we can fill in later. But really, that's the foundational purpose is growing in self-awareness and that that is a muscle. That's not just a character trait. It's Ooh, not that just some people right. are really good at knowing themselves and knowing other people, but it's a muscle that has been strengthened through their life and that they've been intentional with exercising that. And so I think these tests help you exercise self-awareness. And one of the other things I'd add on is empathy for others once you start realizing that not everybody processes the world like you do, which was really big for me. And so that's why I've fallen in love with, um, I just really enjoy my spare time going through these different, uh, learning, studying these different tests is because um, it grows my compassion and my empathy towards myself, which is really, really important, and uh, towards other people, which is so valuable for, for the kingdom. And so, yeah, I'd say some of my background, why we even kind of got into this is because uh, I got introduced to the Enneagram now probably four years ago. And uh, before that, huge Myers-Briggs fan. I loved the disc. I really enjoyed all of these tests that really talked about um, how I thought, how I acted, my responses to different stuff. Um, But I fell in love with the Enneagram deeply because it really, um, I always compare all these tests to like fruit right? Apples, oranges, grapes. They're all fruit, but they're all different. Um, And so the Enneagram, I feel like, really hits not necessarily how we process, but our purpose and like what drives us Mm. is maybe the best way to describe it. And so um, these other tests really describe what we're doing, whereas the Enneagram talks about why you're doing. 
which I love that. Like the it, motive. The behind. motive behind it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's really good. That's true. Yeah. Um, and I think that, um, I don't know, I've, I've probably, my mom, when I was growing up, hi mom, she listens to every episode. Hi. Um, <laughs> she um, got into like Florence Lidauer stuff, Personality Plus with okay. uh, Powerful Choleric, Peaceful okay. Phlegmatic. You don't even know that one? The cleric phlegmatic. Yeah, yeah, um, all that stuff. Sanguine. Yeah, sanguine. And yep, melancholy. Yep. Yeah. So anyways, that was like my first introduction to it. But when you're a kid, you don't know anything or care. Yeah. And then, you know, whatever. You get out in the real world, experience different things, run with some different people, and mm-hmm. um, never really dove deep into the Myers-Briggs stuff, although I know friends who have. And then the, um, the DISC one is what we use here at work for like our staff, which yeah. I think is really good. And that one really helped me to see that like I'm a very task-oriented person as opposed to a people-oriented person. Mm. And just that division of like yeah. some people see the world through tasks and others see the world through people. Yes. Just knowing that is huge, mm-hmm. right? And you mentioned um, empathy. Mm-hmm. Like for me... gaining the understanding that I am a task-oriented person gave me the the awareness to say, yeah, I probably need to work extra hard to ever have empathy for people because Mm -hmm. I'm only going to see whether they're accomplishing the task or not. Yeah. And, and rate them based on that (laughs) because I see things through the lens of tasks. Yeah. Right. And so that's like one of my main personal examples of how, it helped grow my awareness, then grow my empathy, and therefore, like you said, it is a uh, it's a test to help you become a better version of you. Yeah, not some crutch. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've been with people who've been like, "Well, I'm just a task oriented person, bro." So like, Oof. do the task or don't do the task, and it's <laughs> like, cringy. no, that was not the point. Like yeah. that, you totally missed the point of finding mm-hmm. out why you're t- that that you are a task oriented person. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic like Christians coming to church for 30 years and saying I'm a Christian because I've come to church right. for 30 years, and I'm like, you've missed the whole point, and you've sat right. in the pew for this long. You know, right. it's a comparison. Know, like you just missed the. Right. The purpose. We were just talking about Mark Batterson before we turned the mics on, mm-hmm. and one thing he says that I love is like, you can be a Christian with 25 years experience, or you can be a Christian with one year experience 25 times. Mm. You choose. Ooh. Come on. That's right? so good. So, That'll preach within itself. Yeah, yeah. But so. like, I, just talking to what you just said, I mean, I don't really normally analyze every interaction, mostly, but like, so before we turn on the mics, Quentin and I are sitting here, we're having some good conversation. I see him setting everything up. Me, I'm a very people person. I, I just, I, that is how I'm driven is by relationship. Sometimes I'm like, man, I was born in the West when I needed to be born in the East uh, because the, the, those cultures are so right, people right. focused, right? Right. Um, but anyway, so like I see Quint, I see you setting things up, getting things ready. And if I didn't have that awareness, right, I would have been like, oh man, he wants to end this conversation. He's not enjoying this. He wants to get on with things. Right. Right. But because I understand things like, hey, uh, Quint's natural processing is task, so I can't take offense to that because just because he's setting things up doesn't mean he's not caring about the conversation. Right. And so it, it gives me these spaces, which is like this, to right. process those moments of like, yeah, no, we're just having a good conversation, right. but we have something we got to do. Right. So I can't sit here for a half hour and, you know. Right. Uh, and, and so it's prime example a, It's of, such a perfect example. Yeah. So that, And then that. it prevents offense and it creates empathy of understanding. Right. I'm thinking about you not just myself and how I'm receiving the things that you're doing. Right. You know? Yeah. And so... Yeah, no, that's so good because we are wired totally different and yeah. we do see things differently. And so um, it is... It uh, Honestly, I think, like you said, it's a muscle to grow and it helps you understand that um, 
not everybody sees the world the way that you do. Man, mm-hmm. if the last two to three years, the last <sighs> 10 years have not highlighted, mm-hmm. we all see the world differently and we need to stop insisting everybody sees the world the way we see the world yeah. and start maybe listening to how do how are you experiencing this spin around the sun? Because yeah. clearly we're experiencing it differently. That's empathy in and of itself. And that's what is so lacking. And that's why you have people just saying things, doing things, acting certain ways, yeah. online especially, all of that, mm-hmm. because they're just refusing to like get on other people's levels. And that's yeah. on a big scale, how you're experiencing life, and on like a personal scale of how how you see the world, what your filter is, your personality mm-hmm. type filters the world. Yeah. And it's, it's sadly ironic that we live in such a relative culture, right, where they're saying my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth until it comes to perspective, which is so ironic that, I mean, how aggressive people get, right? And how much they uh, dig their feet into the ground shows that um, no matter how much they believe truth is relative or subjective, that they're not actually living that out. They believe that it's objective, meaning like their opinion is right and it's the best. Sometimes it's the only way. And so if you aren't coming into opposition with your actions or your beliefs or your opinions, then you're wrong. You know, and that statement alone is showing, okay, so you don't necessarily actually believe that truth is relative. Because if you did, you'd be able to, quote unquote, cohabitate with me or coexist with me. Right. um, And we can have our separate opinions. And that's the problem with the truth is relative narrative is mm -hmm. that it's it's relative to a point, which means at some point it becomes absolute. Mm-hmm. Which means you just want to define when it's absolute and when it's not. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Just to feed you and to help you and to make make your life comfortable. Right. And and yeah. So. Right. Yeah. And I just was reading an article and had like uh, an interesting conversation about this whole. This is going in a totally different direction. We don't have to spend <laughs> a lot of time here, but like this whole new like the metaverse. Oh yeah. With Zuckerberg with Facebook and Facebook and, and everything. Yeah, uh-uh. And if you're unfamiliar, essentially it's just this uh, uh, endeavor to create like the online world is like part of our world, which it already kind of is. Yeah. But I watched this interview, a little bit of this interview yesterday where Zuckerberg was saying like, you know, Facebook grew up with the smartphone. So we never got to actually create the smartphone the way we would have created it because the Apple had it coming out. Interesting. You know what I mean? And so yeah. he, he feels like this Dang. is his opportunity to like, let's like actually create hardware the way we would have created it instead of build apps that fit on someone else's hardware. Interesting. And so that's where they're really going. Mm. But but to me, the big red flag with all this metaverse stuff is like it's going to give people a platform and an opportunity to create, to fix the things they don't like about themselves mm-hmm. and create a version of themselves that is digital, an yeah. avatar that they do like. And yes. the, the simple example oh. is that stupid... Uh, TV show Alter Ego, mm. where you have these people who are, quote unquote, not attractive enough yeah. to be talented singers, but they're talented singers. Yeah. So they create this digital version. The judges are only... And I've never watched this. I've just seen commercials, but they just watch this digitized human mm-hmm. singing, and then they judge who's the best. But they don't actually want to know who the person is behind the voice Yeah. because they're, they're not going to be, quote unquote, pretty enough or whatever else. Mm-hmm. So let's create... And that's the scary part is it's gonna put crazy. it's gonna put the keys to the car in your hands to like create yourself in your image. Yes, that is what I've been talking about with uh, one of my uh, co- coworkers and close friends, Jonathan. We're sitting in uh, the movie Shang Chi, right? We're sitting there and we're talking, and sometimes the Lord just speaks to me through different situations, like through movies, through books, sure. I mean, all of its art, all of its creation. So um, I think the Lord can use anything, no matter how broken. 
But uh, so I'm sitting there and I said, man, we live in a culture right now that says, be the best you, right? Be you. You're the only you you can be. And I'm like, I wonder what the next cultural phrase will be that like your kids, Quint, will, are growing up in or going to be growing up in. And that like my kids someday, I don't have kids right now, will grow up in. And I was sitting there and I just felt like the line was, it's no longer be the best you, it's create the best you. Right. And we're in a culture now that you can create yourself. You can recreate yourself into exactly how you want to want, want yourself to be perceived. Right. And that's like terrifying because most of the time, right, all these feelings, these emotions, these desires are so fleeting that you step into this and you're so changing that actually it's hard to attach a relationship to you because you're changing so much right. because you're creating right. how you want to be perceived. So there's somewhat of a detachment of like, sometimes you don't even know actually who you are first though, right? which is so important, A, right, to be rooted in Christ so those things don't happen to you. And then B, why we learn about these personality uh, tests and stuff to, to learn where you're coming from and why your past has impacted you, like how your past is impacting you now. Sure, um, sure. So then you can live an authentic self, right, that like our culture saying self-actualization. Right. What, you know, if you right. can see my eyes roll, right. I'll tell you my eyes rolled. Um, because, I mean, we see in the divine creation that um, self-actualization is just realizing that the self isn't the center. Right. It, it, what we see in scripture, you know? Right. Um, and that when we actually put God at the center and put ourselves in the right place, then that's where like freedom comes and like life-giving purpose of understanding we're living beyond ourselves for other people, for the mission of God, you know, right. and for Him. So Yeah, I mean, I think the the giant point in all that is, like, your greatest freedom mm-hmm. and your greatest love of self comes from when you see yourself the way God sees you. Yeah. So as long as you're trying to just create a version of you that you can love mm-hmm. on your own, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. You're going to be let down. Uh, and it's when you finally like get in the Word, yeah. read what the Bible has to say yeah. about you and about God's plan for you and about God's destiny for you, and, mm-hmm. and, and then start to align your actions day to day with that. Until you do those things, you are, you're just a kite in the wind. You know, mm-hmm. You're just out there hoping that what... Yeah. And, and the other irony in all of that is if you think at 20, you have any clue... <laughs> who you want to be or what you want to look like. Yeah. I'll tell you, one of the greatest things, uh, I, and this is like such a silly little example, but I'll say it anyways. One of the things I'm most grateful for is that I waited till I was 30 to get my first tattoo hmm. because at least I okay. was like on the path I'm now on. Yeah. Now that's a whole nother conversation. Oh my gosh, you're a pastor, you have tattoos. Yeah. Okay. Catch the next podcast. But, <laughs> but who I was at 20 Mm-hmm. anything I would have put on my body in ink back then. And, and I wasn't a bad person. It's just like, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I had so much to learn. Like my twenties mm-hmm. were just like nothing but trial and error and trial and error. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was 30 that I was on the path that I'm now on. So, yeah. so anyways, just, that's just a stupid example. But I mean, you think you're going to create some version of you in a metaverse or whatever, yeah. Yeah. At 20, 21, 22, that's actually who you're, you know, I mean, the statistics, who knows what they are now. Yeah. But I know when I was turning 30, the stats were millennials would change their job or career seven times before they turned 30 years old. Oh, yeah. So how in the world are you going to have a clue who you think you want to be yeah. when you're still figuring out 
what you want to do for work and where you're going to, you know, like what you're passionate about. And so I, it's just so you cannot trust the mm-hmm. fickle nature of yourself. Yeah. And that's why you have to get rooted in God's word and get rooted in who he has called you to be. And that's why, let's get right. back to it, the personality that he has gifted you with mm-hmm. is worth studying, learning about, figuring yeah. out, and then and growing in awareness of. You know, you said um, God can use anything, no matter how broken or whatever. And and there is conversation out there about the the origins of the Enneagram, which is all this different stuff. And I'm not going to discount any of that. I've had people tell me that about other personality types. Oh, Mm -hmm. you think God only created four types of people, and that and that's not what any of us are saying. But but what I will say is, if you believe Romans eight twenty eight, that God can work all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Yeah then he can use something. Let's say, let's say the Enneagram was bad in its origin, mm-hmm. which I haven't, I haven't done enough research to have an opinion one way or the other. He, God can still use yeah. that bad, evil thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's evil. For good, because yeah. that's what he does, right? Yes. I've had this conversation about Bible translations. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be careful about this. You got to be careful about that. Yep. We don't have time to go into that. My opinions <laughs> on all that, but another podcast. Yeah, yeah a but, times. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if God, if we're supposed to have faith in God for how Almighty and sovereign He is, probably the chief thing He should be able to do and is able to do is protect His message to us, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Like, yes, that's probably like. Starting point number one. Yeah. If he's in control, he should at least be in control of that, and then we have yeah. something to build on, right? That's so, good. anyways, that's I'm kind of I'm kind of riffing here, there. No, and that's good. Tell me what you're thinking. That's that, that's such good truth. Yeah, I mean, I've I probably put um, I'd safely say um, over 200 hours into studying the Enneagram between the content that I've read, the lessons that I've organized. I mean, I taught um, I, I taught a session at Allegheny. Um, okay, so if you have less than 200 hours in an Enneagram study, <laughs> please listen to what this man's about to say. You are less qualified than uh, he is going forward. Man, that feels... Uh, I feel the weight now. That's um, all right. But man, I've really invested a lot of time into this because I've seen uh, the beauty that comes from how Jesus wants to redeem us of mm-hmm. our broken motives, right? To Like scripture says, that we will be compelled by his love. And um, so as I've like studied it, um, that is the biggest thing that I've seen is, is almost actually the Lord, I, I mean, I was praying cause I, I went through this huge fra- phase of like, I don't want to have kids because you're going to be broken. Oh. And that like terrifies me. Right. Well, it terrified me. And I remember driving, um, and I was just on a long drive. I can't remember where now. And I was talking to the Lord about it. I was like, why would you want me to have kids if they're going to be broken? And, and that's just so confusing to me and scary for me because I'm like, I can't fix them, right. which I know I'm not supposed to. Like, I mean, plot twist, you just can't. Yeah. But Oh, I've um, got five. You can't. I, <laughs> you can't. So. I just process where I was like, no matter how perfect of a dad I can be in my own control, even if I could be, that the world will break them. Yeah. Right? Because that's when God spoke to me in the car, uh, just in my mind, it, in this this moment of revelation of understanding through that brokenness, our children are able to understand the redemption of Christ and why it's so valuable. Um, that even if we weren't, right, we still need Jesus, but there's a beauty because then it's unique to them. And that makes Jesus unique to them yeah. specifically. Yeah. Because no matter how great I am, right, the world will break them at least. I know I will, but like 
I'm going to do all I can not to, but needless to say, the gospel only flows through broken vessels. Right. And so in that moment, it's like, I mean, I can stand by them. So anyways, I go on this tangent to explain that like the Enneagram is meant to help you understand where the enemy or the world or your past has really caused you to put on armor. Like if you have the imagery of armor, armor is really heavy. I mean, I've never put it on. I don't need to. I have no reason to fight. But, you know, when you put that stuff on, it's real metal. That stuff's heavy. And so imagine walking around your whole day with that. No wonder why you're exhausted when you get home or when you lay in bed. It feels like that moment where you're like, because all those people interactions, you're wearing armor to protect yourself. And so so you're presented in a way that you want to be seen. And so the Enneagram, I felt like the Lord has used the Enneagram um, and granted, I have studied the history of it. I totally understand a lot of that, um, which I can hit on after this statement. But, sure. But the Enneagram really is to help you take off that armor and to live in a place of healthy vulnerability in front of the Lord, in front of yourself, and people that you care about. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the origin, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me, I'm not going to lie, I'll compare it to, like, it's like kind of like Thanksgiving, or I mean, it's kind of like Christmas, right? How... Um, I mean, when you look at the Christmas tradition, we really tethered a lot of pagan traditions into um, what we see as like the biblical tradition of Christmas. Um, And I think the same way has gone with the Enneagram, right, where it was used for a lot of different things throughout history um, in different religions as well, like Judaism and Buddhism and Taoism and Christianity. It's been used through it all that it really came into formation in the 60s by a man who studied it and then started teaching it. Then they took it from um, I think he was in Argentina, if I can remember correctly. And this man's still alive today. It, basically, if I can compare it, it's the same way that um, that we, we, we're taking the good out of it, right? And um, we're going to use it for our growth for the Lord because he can use anything. Sure. And so um, even with its roots, right, it's been maybe maybe the sense is like watered down or cut out. So, so it's in this basic shape that isn't demonic, that isn't, um, oppressive, or it, it isn't ascribing worth to any other religion. It, it, it's just so washed and watered down to the point where it, it's used, and it's just a basic block now. And so we're using it for our own advantage at this point. Is the best way I could probably describe that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I was—I I probably won't find it quickly here, but I was—I um, just read one of the intro tra- chapters to um, or intro. Uh, blurbs from Eugene Peterson in the message. Mm. I just realized this is my third copy of the (laughs) message that is printed and presented this way. Surprised you don't have a signed copy. I'm, I I am too. And he's passed on, unfortunately. They probably Um, have them on eBay. Probably. (laughs) Anyways, um, he does a thing. I can't remember which book it was in, but he talks about how um, from the beginning of time, we've tried to separate the sacred and the secular. Yes. And that's what mankind does, is we try mm-hmm. to separate the sacred and the secular. And it's so true. And this is such a great example of that, because mm-hmm. we try to say, like, well, if it has evil origins, it can't be redeemed for good. Mm. Uh, come, on. come on. You're preaching that now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, I love what Paul Young, who wrote The Shack, he says that when the truth of your being and the way of your being come into line, that is when you will know wholeness. That is when you will know healing, right? And he talks a lot about how if you want to say something with evil origins can't be redeemed for good, he's like, 
You've been in a church lately? You see that cross hanging on the wall? Mm-hmm. It's a murder weapon. Yeah, it's like a, the worst. It was the it was... worst mass murder weapon created, or not mass murder, but murder weapon created, yeah. and God redeemed it to be a symbol of grace. Mm-hmm. God used, took something evil and used it for good for yeah. those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. So yeah. I think that... Um, you know, and I joked that you have more qualifications. If you've le- legitimately put 200 hours into studying this thing, like that's yeah. so similar to when I talk about the message with people, the message translation, mm-hmm. and people get a little leery about the com- contemporary language and everything else. And I'm like, well, you know, all I know is this. Eugene Peterson was a Greek and Hebrew scholar and college professor yeah. and a pastor and g- Greek and Hebrew scholar. He's more qualified than me, oh, you yeah. know. Yeah. Did he do it perfect? Probs not, but yeah. <laughs> did, you know, I mean, I'm legitimately reading yeah. First and Second Samuel to my boys at night before bed out yeah. of the message, because yeah. it reads like a story, because yeah. and, and it's alive, and yeah. it's, you know? Yeah, and it ties back into, right, what was Eugene, what was Eugene's motive? Right. His, it, you have to trust in those moments that right. you either will believe that his motive was bad right. or good, right? There's right. really only two options nothing in between, that his motive was pure of saying, I really desire to interpret this word in a way, um, again, that he doesn't believe, he's not sitting there saying that it was divinely inspired, right? right? That's why we don't call it a translation, but he was saying it, it, we need a fresh perspective right. of, how, of how they would have heard it in their day. Right. Right. Well, so, his, his, actually the impetus for all of it, we can end with this and then we'll jump into an, another episode, a different conversation, but um, the entire impetus for the start of the message was he was teaching on Psalms at his church. Mm-hmm. Do you know the story? A little bit, yes. And he was teaching, he was trying to teach them, y'all need to just pray yeah. like they prayed in the Psalms. So he wrote Psalms 120 through 134. Yeah, the ascent. Song, the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent. Yep. He wrote them in contemporary language and said, pray these during your week. Mm-hmm. And his church lit up. And we're like, that was amazing. The Bible's never felt so alive. It's never felt so real. Could you do that with all of Psalms? Yeah. That just that took forever. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, Psalm's big book. And it's then he huge. he did that. And then I mean it just snowballed from there and it just turned into uh probably publishers getting a hold of him and everything else. And I mean it was mm-hmm. a twenty five year project for yeah. him to do what I hold in my hand right now. So um anyways, this again went a different direction, but I guess all that is to say when you encounter things that might feel foreign to you, uncomfortable to you, or it's okay to be leery of things. You know, yeah. like we should definitely yes. buy your fruits, you will know them. We should mm-hmm. judge the fruits or whatever. Yeah. I would tell you personally, for me, um, the little bit I've studied the Enneagram has just helped so much. Like mm-hmm. my my motives and the the really I think for me it wasn't a hard thing to embrace because John Eldridge talks so much about our wounds that we encounter when we're kids yep. and then the agreements that we build from those wounds yep. and then the behaviors that we build. Yeah, which is essentially that armor you're talking about mm-hmm. to protect ourselves from further wounding yes. in those same areas. Yeah. And so, so much of that is what the Enneagram hits on is the motive behind that. I wrote down when you were just talking about getting rid of that armor, armor and becoming more vulnerable. And yeah. I can say unequivocally, like this is like <laughs> the easiest statement in the world for me to make. I don't even have to think about how true it is. I know, I know, I know it's true. The hardest relationships in my life, bar none, are the ones with the lowest level of vulnerability. Yes. Easily. Yes. And it, they're, most of those 
I'll be a little empathetic here, have <laughs> low vulnerability because the people have low awareness. Yeah. I oh. won't even say it's because Ooh. they, yeah. I, I won't even say it's because they don't want to put the work in. I'll be nicer than that. Yeah. But What's, it's almost like uh, you don't want to be hurt in their lack of awareness is dangerous. That's a really extreme word. But right, when they're spitting out words that they don't mean to say or don't even know that are harmful or they're right. doing actions that are not being processed through their mind of how you're going to receive them, what can you do but armor up in those moments of like, I care about you, but I need to protect myself, right? right. Those are boundaries what people talk about in our culture, right? They, they say, you need to draw boundaries, right? It's that way of saying, you're dangerous because you don't, you're not aware of how your actions are impacting others. So now in turn, I have to armor up to protect myself because I'm aware right. or I'm more aware, you right. know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Or even if you are far enough down the awareness road that you don't armor up, Mm-hmm. You still just like see it as like, wow, this this relationship's just going to be full of deficiencies. Yeah, there's just yeah, this is only going to go so far. Yeah, you can already basically see the end of the paths right. of that relationship because you're like, you right. n- we're not going to be able to get beyond here. Yeah, I joked with Nicole. I preached in um, August. I preached a series on healthy relationships, mm-hmm. which honestly, in uh, the four years I've been here and five years she's been here, is the first relationship series that we've done here at this church. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's just teaching on relationships in a church setting is hard because there's single people and there's all sorts of like, it, it's mm-hmm. just a lot. Yeah. Um, I wasn't just preaching to romantic relationships, but we did hit on some of that. But uh, anyways, I joked with her because she is so effortless when it comes to relationships mm. and yet she never teaches on it. And mm. I am not effortless when it comes to relationships. And I was like, yeah, you all know I'm the first one to preach on relationships because I've had to put a lot of work in. This just comes natural to you, you know mm. what I mean? But I've had to like yeah. really dig deep to learn some stuff, change some things. I, mm. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's just I mean, different. that's the beauty, though, of having someone like you preach that, though, is because then people can't sit up there and say, man, she doesn't even put in any effort right. to do that, right? But people can look to you to say... He's done the work, right? He's done the work, which means I can do the work, right? You know, and and I think because it, um, it's been like its own journey for me or whatever, and it doesn't come quote unquote supernaturally because mm-hmm. I'm task oriented, not people yeah, oriented. Yeah. <laughs> it does come supernaturally, right? Exactly. There you go. There <laughs> you go. Um, because of that, I think that's why like I'm passionate about talking about it because yeah. it's it's it has cost me something in a good way, and mm-hmm. therefore I'm excited about telling people about the price I've paid yeah. to have skills that I did not otherwise have. So anyways, that's kind of, that's free, no charge as they say, but uh, <laughs> any other thoughts on personality stuff or I know we kind of went here, there yeah. and everywhere, but I, I like, I think like, kind of like we said, kicking it off, it, the yeah. whole point is that awareness piece. Like, yes. man, if, if nothing else here, the importance of those uh, is really to grow in your awareness of self. Yep. Where are... I've done podcasts actually on like wounds and agreements and then the behaviors that come from them. So like go, mm. go dig through the catalog and find, I think one was called you have a wound, but like when we have an awareness of that, then we can actually invite Jesus in to those places and say, wow, I didn't realize I was harboring this hurt Yeah, and therefore operating out of this hurt and therefore mm-hmm. interacting with people in my day-to-day life out of this hurt. Could you please like minister to that? That's like the most real thing you can do right there. Yeah. So that's powerful. Yeah. That's good word. All right. Anything else, TJ? Cool. Uh, yeah. No, I think you hit it. Really motive. You know, what's your motive stepping into this? Check your heart. You know, talk to the Lord about it. And, as, and know that if you don't listen to anything beyond this podcast, that uh, 
man, the Enneagram can be dangerous. Like it's like any other weapon. Sure. Right? Or like we call them tools. It can become a weapon if you don't know how to handle it well. It can damage you. It can damage other people. So I think that's my last, like just in case if you don't listen, which you really should listen to our following ones, but um, know that if you don't take the time out to really understand it, um, you'll end up hurting yourself, boxing yourself in, boxing other people in, and in turn damaging other people because uh, the lack of empathy right. and awareness. Because so, I was just going to say, the, yeah. the irony in it is that the goal is that we gain empathy, yes. or that the opportunity is there for us to gain empathy. Yes. But unfortunately, what can happen if you go into it ignorantly or not not seeking that mm-hmm. as your end result is you can lose empathy. Yes, You can literally become less empathetic, looking yeah. at people being like, I can't believe you see the world that way. That's just yeah. not how it is. And I, I'm wired this way, so I don't have to... Like that. Mm-hmm. Please, please, please don't be that person. Yeah. Don't be that person. So, All right. Sounds great. Thanks so much, TJ. This was awesome. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Quintessential Ministry Podcast.